Welcome to the Sea Change Show, where leaders are changing business culture for good. I'm your host, Maura Barclay. If you are a new listener, I'm so glad you found us. Welcome to the show. And you didn't find us by accident. Please stop what you're doing unless you're driving. Hit that subscribe button. Click that plus. Follow us, please, so you don't miss a single conversation with these incredible transformational leaders. And if you are a frequent flyer, welcome back, my friends. We're so glad you come and listen every week. Today is a highlight episode. Nikki Leandakis, if you didn't catch it, I believe she was episode 19. Holy cannoli, that that leader, she's incredible. And she really is the true embodiment of what servant leadership is all about. If you didn't catch it, please go and and listen to it. She's the CEO of Core Power Yoga. She has uh, a lot of history with private equity firms as far as sitting on the board. She's been the CEO of Equinox, a Fortune 500 company. She's a hotelier. She's got an incredible background. She's played with all the big boys. And, uh, you know, in all of the, in all of the, the big enterprise endeavors. So, you know, she's legit. And the thing that, that really impresses me the most about her is not just her humility. That's, I would say there's two things that tell you immediately whether or not someone is a legit servant leader. Number one, they are incredible listeners. They want to listen they spend most of their time listening. And the second thing is they are very humble and they are very clear that they don't have all the answers. They don't want to have all the answers. That's what they hire good people for is to help them. And they rely upon their teams to provide the insight and perspective so that they can make the best decisions. This is exactly who she is. What I wanted to focus on about her is the way that she creates belonging, maybe it's not the way she creates belonging, it's the why. And I think it really speaks to how our lived experiences are so deeply influential in how we lead and how we work, our style. Nikki is, is a Leandakis, I don't know if you noticed, she's very Greek. Her family is very Greek. And when I say that, when she talks about her family, it reminds me of my big fat Greek wedding because she had very traditional family and apparently was the only Greek from the only Greek immigrant family in the neighborhood. So she was the only Greek girl in school. And she says in the interview, she talks about, you know, during holidays, my family was slaughtering and like roasting live animals in their garage, as you do in subcultures. So very different than the neighborhood culture that she was a part of. And her entire life, all she wanted was to fit in. All she wanted was to feel like she belonged. And to honor her culture would pretty much guarantee that she was the odd person out. So she has this bone deep affinity for belonging and she truly understands what it means to feel like an outsider. And she did not appreciate feeling that way. And 
she doesn't want anyone to feel that way in her organization. So typically, you know, one of the first things that she does, one of her priorities is to establish systematic belonging as much as possible. And one of the things that I asked her, like, what's, what's one thing that you do to, to build these inclusive cultures, to build belonging. This is, and to be clear, having a diverse, inclusive organization does not imply there's a culture of belonging. They're very different and, and allow me to explain. I, I've had, I've gone to the mat with some people uh, of a particular dominant uh, gender and ethnic background I'm being a little bit coy here, who insist that you can't measure belonging and that it is a personal thing. And on the one hand, I can absolutely see that logic. On the other hand, I believe that byproducts of belonging absolutely can be measured in the same way that the byproducts of culture can be measured. An example of that is, what's your attrition rate? If it is high, that is an indication that you have a toxic culture or an unhealthy culture. Pretty simple. If you've got a healthy culture, you're going to have very high engagement. You're going to have high performance. Your revenue will show it. And you'll also have uh, and really high NPS scores. So in the same way, belonging means that you are able to show up as you are in your culture, no code switching. You're not asked to change your core being and you are invited to share, to add to the culture and invite, invited to make an impact. And it is really the impact that defines belonging. It's one thing to invite, let's just say a black woman into an executive leadership team. If she's talked over at meetings, if her ideas are co-opted minutes after she said them, if she's not allowed by whatever mechanism to contribute in a way that leverages her talent and expertise and her unique point of view, if she's not empowered and enabled to make an impact that feels like tokenism. She's there for the box check. She's there to show the award-winning diversity program. And you may have a lot of different colored faces, but if they don't feel like they're being respected, seen, and honored, if they don't feel like they can make an impact with the fact that they're different, then you've not built belonging. Then that's gonna be reflected in your attrition of diverse candidates in your MPS course, all the same things that really can be measured about culture. So it's not belonging that we're measuring folks. It's the byproducts of belonging. I love Nikki's approach. One of the first things that she does is go on listening tours. Now I've, I've heard in private, I've been privy to some conversations by female executives that have accompanied CEOs, male, white male, heterosexual CEOs on corporate listening tours or at enterprise level listening tours, you know, these not necessarily global companies, but absolutely 
national companies, companies that have locations in multiple cities. And there's, I, I, when I talked to the, these women, I, I learned something called positive, sorry, toxic positivity. I'm like, oh God, what now? What the hell does that mean? <laughs> toxic positivity. I should just put it. Okay. I'm, I'm Jewish and this is something that my people do. So it, this is something that I'm so used to when a, when a topic brings up something, I'm going to go down that road for a second. I'll get back to toxic positivity and how it impacts a listening to her in just a moment. When I built my website and I was working with the agency that was helping me with my, my verbal branding, they're like, are there any words that are not, that you don't want to have on your website? I said, yes, toxic, no word ever. The word toxic will never appear on my website. I'm over it. It's threadbare enough already. Toxic positivity. Okay. I understand the concept. I just, there's got to be a better term for it. So as we have it now, this is what is. Toxic positivity is when authentic positivity is inhibits, it inhibits authentic communication. It actually decreases a, a sense of psychological safety. And here's an example of it. A very well-meaning, I want to be clear. Listen, I'm the biggest fan of all of these white men who, these are like CEOs that took to the streets for Me Too. They have wives, they have daughters, they have sisters they care about. They... They have Black Lives Matters posters in their living room windows. They might have even taken to the streets when George Floyd was killed. These are men who believe themselves to be allies because they really want to be, and they believe that they are being active in their, in their roles as allies to women, Black people, people of color. LBGTQIA+, all of these communities. So I want to be clear, there's a lot of men that they're really, really, I won't say they're trying because that's almost diminishing. They're after it. They are working as allies in the way that they conceive what that is. So, you know, there's no shame, no blame, no judgment here. And when one of these individuals who's very enthusiastic about his listening to her shows up and he is so positive and keeps things very sort of high level. They're superficial, but they're positive. What it does is disincentivizes people to show up and ruin the mood. So if you're on a listening tour and you really want people to be honest with you, then the tone that you set needs to be very clear and resonant with constructive feedback. If it's all kumbaya, it's really unreasonable to ask a subordinate to take a big dump on that. Like, um, I'll be the first person to say, we have a culture of scarcity and fear in my department. Who's going to say that? Nobody. But if you are the CEO and you're going into a listening tour with, I know this isn't perfect. And let me be the first to acknowledge 
my either complicity or how I've contributed. And I just want to apologize to you all. If anything's going on that I don't know about, it's because I've created a culture where the perception is that information isn't welcome. And that's why I'm doing this tour is to just completely um, uh, dispel that myth and be the first person to say, I see it. I'm sorry. It was never my intention. My desire here today is to invite you all to trust me that when you give me constructive feedback, it will be heard and it will go somewhere because I'm committed to creating a psychologically safe space where you all feel included. Now that will create a two-way dialogue. But coming in with like, everything's great. Woo, woo, let's do this. Yeah, everybody, let's go. That's not going to elicit the juicy truth that can actually create movement change, engagement, productivity, mutual respect, all the things, that's what you want. The CEO has to come with that enough humility to say, here's where we're working. Here's what we're working on. I know it's not perfect. And listen, if you are a fractional CEO and you're coming into a broken culture, you want to honor the past because I know this is definitely something that um, I had a wonderful interview with. Um, uh, I can't remember his last last name. No, Stephen. No, it's gonna, of course it's it's uh, it's going to ev evade me. I'll have to come in and, and grab it. Uh, I had a fractional CEO that I interviewed and Rack. There we go, Stephen Rack. He was early in the game. He was like in the first ten episodes, and. I asked him, like, how do you build culture when you're coming in as a fractional CEO, you know, or doing a transition? And he said, first thing I do is I listen and I integrate the past culture. We never throw the baby out with the bathwater. We want to honor where the company's been and use it as a, as a way to uh, bring people along to the new culture. So he's, you know, so humble, such a great, again, servant leadership. It doesn't matter what gender you are, what color your skin is, servant leadership, servant leadership, listening and humility. And um, the ability to admit if you're wrong, that uh, if you've done something wrong to apologize, regardless of your role or other people's role in the hierarchy. These are all ways to create a psychologically safe space which is the backbone of any healthy culture. So if you want people to feel like they belong, number one, they have to be able to make an impact. And one of the ways they can do that is to bring their authentic selves to work but and speak their minds. But the only way people are going to take that risk, and, and let's be clear, and if you haven't read Amy, Dr. Amy Edmondson's book, Fearless Organization, pick that book up immediately. The only way that people will take the professional and personal risk to speak up is if they feel it's psychologically safe, that they're not going to get punished, they're not going to be excluded from opportunities, that their manager's not going to hold it against them, all of these things. If that hasn't been established, it's not going to happen, then you can't really make an impact. And everybody's working at about half throttle. You have a governor on your people if you are working in a psychically unsafe or unhealthy, or I hate to say it, a toxic culture. You're throttling your people. You've got a governor on them. The cruise control is on. And you've got an organization of quiet quitters. And it's just going to get worse. 
And the answer is humility. The answer is listening. The answer is not having all the answers. And I know that flies in the face of conventional leadership, command and control culture. And that's okay because COVID changed everything. We are not going back to quote unquote normal. Normal was never working, not in a knowledge economy. And we have incredible servant leaders like Nikki Leandakis, like Mohammed Anwar, like Stephen Wright, uh, Stephen Rack, uh, like Lance Loveday. I've interviewed all these people. Go listen to their interviews. These are white men and women who know how to include people, who know how to take the time to hire people with different points of view. And that does take time. You have to be committed to it. You have to source <laughs> alternate talent pools. Can't rely on your old sources. There has to be some effort. And I, I believe that if, if we were all able to spend less effort trying to fit in, we wouldn't be so exhausted. We were spent less effort uh, trying to, <laughs> less effort trying to navigate outrageously toxic politics, then we would have so much more energy to do the things that create the diverse, the diverse, diverse, <laughs> the diverse inclusive cultures where people feel like they belong. Command and control equals politics. It's a lot to navigate. When we have, you know, I, I, I'll tell you what, I would go to work to Ray Dalio. I'm like, just tell me how it is. Principles, people, read the book. Oh my gosh. Meritocracy, transparency. This is where the world is going. And finally, thank you, COVID. Employees are developing standards and the companies that are responding to those standards, well, they're being met with a great deal of talent, a great deal of retention and a great deal of revenue to show for it. So thank you, Lee, Nikki Leandakis, for showing us the way, for being, for modeling what servant leadership looks like, for being humble enough to listen and listening on the on their on your team's terms, on their terms, not on your terms, where everybody has to pass through this positivity filter. Thank you for bringing real conversations, real honesty, and inviting people to do the same. That's the future of work. Thank you for doing it. And to my listeners, thank you so much for stopping by as you do. I appreciate you very much. If you have not subscribed yet, please do, or follow me if you're on uh, Spotify. And please drop me a note. Tell me what you think of the show. Give me a rating. I'd love to know what you think. It's for you. I'm here to amplify voices. Yeah, I don't get anything out of this. <laughs> I'm not being paid. Uh, I get, I do. I get the satisfaction of getting to talk to these amazing people, truly remarkable people. So 
I mean, I'm being paid the golden wage of, of relationship and it's priceless. So I, I kid. Thanks so much, everybody. Tune in next week. It's going to be amazing. Uh, after every highlight episode is a new interview. So I will look forward to seeing you or speaking with you next week. Have a good one. Thanks again. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Sea Change Show. We sure appreciate you stopping by and taking your very valuable time to visit with us. Please remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Who knows what's going to happen? I never do. It's always up in the air. And if you would like to be a guest, if you have something to offer, I would love to talk to you. Please email me at cultureworks at morabarclay.com. And that's M-A-U-R-A-B-A-R-C-L-A-Y.com. I would love to talk with you. And if you have someone who you think would be a good fit for this show, please reach out to me and connect me. I want to keep celebrating and amplifying as many of these voices as possible. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.